Welcome to Mothering Earth. You remember the song by Eric Clapton, Let It Rain, Let It Rain? While Clapton was talking about love, today we're talking about the wet stuff that falls from the sky. If you live in certain parts of the country, you pray for more rain, to green up the garden and fill up the rivers and lakes. Elsewhere, people may have too much rain. But either way, rainwater collection, also called rainwater harvesting, is something to consider, especially so if you live in the drier regions of the U.S. Before we had large centralized water supply systems, many people collected rainwater to use for drinking, cooking, washing, and for watering plants and animals. The water was channeled from the roof and stored in tanks known as cisterns. These days, there's renewed interest in collecting rainwater because of changes in climate and an increasingly large world population. These factors are threatening to overwhelm the amount of water available. We see evidence of this in Texas in dry riverbeds and creeks, in sinking lake levels, and in wells that are running dry. The population of Texas is expected to double over the next 50 years, and existing surface water and groundwater resources are quickly being depleted. Municipalities are looking into ways of recycling water, and in some cases encouraging rainwater collection to reduce the burden on public water systems. There are other reasons to consider rainwater collection. Rainwater is a more or less free source of water that is also free of salts, minerals, and other natural and man-made contaminants. Because the water is soft, it reduces the buildup of lime scale on your appliances, and so it's going to extend the life of appliances. And plants love rainwater. They absolutely thrive on it. Rainwater harvesting reduces water flow to storm sewers and reduces the threat of flooding. And rainwater harvesting helps water utilities reduce peak demands during summer months. Well, what exactly is rainwater collection? Basically, it's the capture and storage of rainwater for landscape irrigation, for drinking and non-drinking indoor use, and to abate stormwaters. Karen Ford is an expert in this field and has a lot to share about rainwater collection. So today I'm here with Karen Ford. She has her own company, Water PR, and is a former Hayes County Commissioner. Uh, and our topic today is rainwater harvesting. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like you to tell us a little more about yourself. Thank you, Sawa. Thanks for having me on your show. And um, I, of course, love talking about water, a company that I'm... Um, Managing director right now, Water PR, that's what we do, is talk water for different folks and on different issues around Texas. Um, I'm also on the board of the Hill Country Alliance, and we work throughout the, the Hill Country on, on natural resource issues and um, connecting people on those issues and educating. So uh, water's just been a focus of my interest and my work for... Uh, 
more than 10 years. So um, I guess one of the reasons that I ran for county commissioner in the first place back in 2006 was because of drought, seeing drought coming, because of seeing water resources being an issue, seeing that we only had um, really relied on groundwater in Hayes County for the most part, and knowing that that's a, a finite resource and that you can't really, to be sustainable, you can't really use more than gets recharged, or you're going to be, you know, you're you're going to be mining the resource. So, uh, when I was in the office, I put together a group called the Water Conservation Working Group, and just there are a lot of folks in Hayes County who really understand the issue and care about water and care about uh, protecting that resource and, and educating people on how to use it. So that water conservation working group, sort of we had several meetings. We sort of had a, um, you know, what do we want to accomplish? What is our mission? What's our vision for the future? And the vision turned out to be we want 10 years from now for rainwater harvesting to be seen as a very common practice, something that um, many, many people engage in, not just a few greenies. And um, so uh, the decision from the group was to put together an event that would start educating people on rainwater collection and, and water conservation issues. And so, uh, voila, the rainwater revival was born, and um, it was it was really a good group of people who had some great ideas and put together this event. And the first one was in um, Dripping Springs in 2010, and we just saw a lot of interest from people in rainwater collection. This has been a practice that goes back thousands of years frankly and so that's why we call it a revival because we've kind of gotten away from it and we rely on you know systems and infrastructure and turning on the faucet and there it comes we don't know where the water comes from we were really surprised how um, how much interest there was and so after that first year then we sort of took that event under the umbrella of the um, hill country alliance and so we've continued it uh, once a year every fall in october and this year will be the fifth um, anniversary of that, and we've been in Bernie the past two years, and we're going to be back in Dripping Springs at the new ranch event center October the 25th with the Rainwater Revival. I went to the first one, probably, mm -hmm. in Dripping, and um, I remember being very inspired by some of the speakers. Um, can you talk about some of the people that will be atten uh, that will be speaking sure, or giving sure. presentations? Um, we have one um, gentleman that is um, going to be there every year that we can get him, and his name is Billy Niffen. Mm -hmm. And um, years ago, he was the uh, Ag Extension Agent for Hayes County. And then he moved on out to Menard, mm -hmm. Texas, uh, where they get even less rainfall than we do here. And, and he is just uh, what I call the godfather or the guru of rainwater harvesting in Texas. He's educated so many people, and he knows so much, and he continues to, that's his life's work, is to educate people about rainwater harvesting and help people understand how to do their systems. So he will be back. He's also very involved in the national organization called the uh, American Rainwater Catchment Society of America or something. I don't know. It's ARCSA. 
And um, so he's, he's real active in that group, and they have set standards. I mean, as we come into this as, as an industry and we talk, start thinking about public water supply and health and making sure that, you know, we do it right so people don't get sick. Um, so they have some standards for design and for treatment and things like that. And so he's going to speak about that this year is, um, is you know, what are those standards and how what, what people who are interested in rainwater need to be aware of. And, and, and not that it's a dangerous practice at all. I'm not indicating that. But, um, you know, if you don't, if you're not responsible and don't take care of certain maintenance things that happen every year and that sometimes after large rains, then, you know, you could start getting some, some things going on in your tanks that might not be good. So he will be there. One of the other popular things that we have every year is a homeowner's panel. People who live 100% on rainwater uh, come as a panel to speak about their decision their practice, what kind of system they have, how kind of they treat, what their maintenance is like, and most importantly, what it's like living 100% on rainwater when we're in a drought. And people think, well, how can you have rainwater when it never rains? So that's the big misconception is that, um, and the truth is it does rain here. We get really far and few between perhaps, but we get some really good blasts of rain. I think they say that Texas is has a climate that is in perpetual drought interrupted by occasional flood or something like that. So we do get some really heavy rains, and the whole um, concept is having enough storage, roof space and storage, to capture what you get when you get it far and few between, Mm -hmm. and then that will carry you through until the next deluge. So, well, before you go further, sure. let me let me go back. Let's uh, because we've been talking about rainwater harvesting, mm-hmm. but some people may not understand exactly what that is. Okay. Can we sort of go back to the beginning and have a, kind of an explanation of what that practice is? Right. Well, I guess we um, all of our public water supply systems and everything that are having surface. I mean, we all. It's all rainwater harvesting in some way. But when we talk about this, we're talking about um, what my friend David Van Heisen calls building scale rainwater harvesting. So you're doing it on individual buildings, homes, businesses, barns, garages, where you're taking every bit of rain that falls on that roof and capturing it and storing it in a tank. So you would need, you know, a roof system, and when you sort of figure out how much you can get, what your storage is. You look at your roof print mm-hmm. um, in terms of square feet, and then your, um, you sort of look at what your rainfall is in your area. So I guess around here our annual rainfall is, tw- well, yeah, I was going to say lately it's more like 27, but, yeah. but somewhere, you know, right. um, 27 to 32. Um, and so you kind of look at that and figure in, okay, I've got this much roof, that's how much it rains, how much storage am I going to need? So do I need 10,000, 20,000? Um, you know, I know people that have 40 and 60,000, but they have a lot of roof to capture that on. So that's what we talk about right now is capturing it off your building. Okay. Yeah. And so the, the, you mentioned that the bigger, so the bigger your roof is, the more water you can capture. Right. Because there's more roof. Um, right. So the formula is, there's kind of a general formula that you can then just take what your roof print is in terms of square feet. 
that for a thousand square feet foot roof and a one inch rain, you're going to collect 600 gallons, a little more probably. But that's kind of the average, and that's kind of what you figure. Okay. So um, you can see that if you had, you know, a five-inch rain, you're going to get a good bit of water. It's a lot of water. Yeah. Right. This industry of, of rainwater system designers and installers and whatnot has has sort of exploded around here lately yeah, why in, is in there, Texas. Why do you think there's more of an interest these days? Uh, because I think more people are moving to rural areas that, um, you know, and understand that the groundwater supply is maybe not that dependable and that you're going to have to go way down and the water's not that good. And so a lot of folks who are moving into more of a rural setting are, are choosing to go with rainwater harvesting because it's tried and true and the water's fabulous and, you know, it's it's not as hard as many people think it is. But there, there are people as well in cities um, who can also do this. So we're not saying this is only for people who might be out in the country. But. Exactly. Um, so probably more folks in the cities are using it and, and rightly and... and Happily so that they're using it for capturing it and using it on lawns mm -hmm. and on landscape and on gardens and plants and things. Frankly, plants like that kind of water, like rainwater, and thrive more on rainwater than they do, you know, our chlorinated tap water. And it mm -hmm. it it continues to amaze some of us that um, we, as a culture and a population in Texas and the United States, pour a lot of treated expensive water out on lawns mm -hmm. and um, water's been really cheap and so we've done that but as infrastructure and water costs get more expensive and um, and also scarcer then we have to think about new ways of, right. of having lawns. Yeah and this brings up something that uh, a lot of people seem to have the idea that there's plenty of water available why should I even think about rainwater capture. Um, can you talk about that? And you, you, uh, you also had something that sounded really intriguing, the water ethic. Mm -hmm. So I guess anybody who's really been paying attention lately understands that we're in a drought. And um, we, we look back at the 50s as being what we call our drought of record. But there are some discussion, and even with our state climatologist, and certainly a lot of other scientists talking about climate change and that we're really in for a period of um, higher temperatures and crazier weather. And so, um, but, but certainly everyone can agree that we have suffered drought and we know that we're mining aquifers. I mean, the agricultural community, particularly in the High Plains, has been dependent on the Ogallala Aquifer, and that, that is in jeopardy right now. And it's very clear that that's in jeopardy. And so we just have to, and you know, our lakes, I mean, it's visible. You can look out and see the lakes, you can see the creeks, you can see the rivers, they're down. There's not water flowing. And when you don't have water flowing in your lakes and creeks and rivers and streams, you don't have that water going and recharging underground either. And so we're we're just um, we're in a water shortage. And as the population expands, that's not going to get better. Right. 
And as the climate changes and population expands, yes. So people just have to start thinking about water in a new way. It's not plentiful. It's not going to be cheap. I'd like you to tell me a little bit more about what you call the water ethic. Okay. So um, it's a phrase that um, I guess I use and other people who are in the water conservation world kind of use now about the need for um, Texans and certainly central Texans and any place where we're uh, challenged with drought to um, embrace a new water ethic, which is just a new way of uh, thinking about and respecting and using and conserving water for not just for ourselves and our own pocketbooks, but also for our neighbors, for the common good, and, and for the future. And because we just know that with population growth and climate change, we're going to be challenged. And so we have to think about think about it every time we turn on the faucet. You know, where's that water coming from? How am I using it? Am I wasting? Um, how can I do things differently to save water and not, you know, I don't think you have to totally put yourself out and deprive yourself and not take baths or take baths together or, or anything like that, but uh, not a bad idea for some. But it's just a new way of thinking about water. Part of it's because we have a history of not really thinking about water and how we use it. It's just been always there. It's been cheap. Um, I was involved with a group back in 2004 that did a statewide survey on uh, water awareness and water use and whatnot. Um, The state paid for the survey. It was kind of the precursor to what might have been a statewide water conservation campaign that never came to pass. It never got funded. But the big aha from 2004 was that um, people did not know, people in Texas did not really know where their water came from. They did not know the source. And even myself, I have um, talked to some of my friends and folks that I run across in Austin sometimes, and I'll go, where does your where does your water come from? And they're like, not really sure what the answer should be, you know? And, you know, it's the Colorado River. That's where Austin gets their water. But they're getting ready to. The, the Water Development Board just funded a second study. So 10 years later, they're going to go back and do another study and see has any of that changed? And my guess, it probably has changed somewhat. Um, I still think we have a long way to go um, to keep a, a broad part of our population understanding and being conservative with the way they use. And, you know, the big thing we need to change is how we spend water outside on our landscapes. Um, one thing that came out of a meeting recently was a, a friend who lives in the western part of the hill country went around to county courthouses and took pictures of those courthouses and some they're all lush green St. Augustine lawns and some of them had water sprinklers going at the same time and so you know we need our government to kind of step up and be a leader and an example and not you know be promoting this waste of water on courthouse lawns. So how, how do you think, or what are good ways to get that message out to people? How do we make people aware that water is not an infinite resource? Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of always a, a challenge, is how do you do education and outreach that's broad and consistent and, 
and that um, gives good guidelines for people and that you can gauge and see how effective your messages are. I mean, it's all part of social marketing is what is what I have done in the past and doing now. Um, certainly the Hill Country Alliance has a lot of good information on website, hillcountryalliance.org, about things. And you can go there and sign up to get newsletters and get constant information on you know, meetings and forums and issues out in the Hill Country and, um, you know, where you can sort of learn and engage. I do think, I mean, the water, again, the Water Development Board just um, funded several projects. I mean, they had a, a, a million dollars they wanted to spend on water conservation education, and they um, have given um, several grants out of that. I think they're, they've spent that money with different groups who are were, who were going to get the word out. So some of it's school. You know, doing education, I think, which is a really good way to do it, get into the school systems and start right. with kids that are young. Right. And um, some of it is these really aggressive um, outreach campaigns that have, you know, the water education trailer that goes around the county or the area and it's just always there. And, and there's just some communities that have um, been doing a good job within their community. And So there's some progress. There's some progress, and we hope that, you know, the SWIFT funds, what we voted on last November, Prop 6, to have $2 billion to go for water um, infrastructure improvements and, and water supply projects in the state, um, the the legislature and the, the bill mandated 20% for conservation, 10% for rural or for ag, and that was a floor, not a ceiling, and so... We have been recommending to those who are setting the rules up right now, and which is a public process going on right now, the rulemaking, that conservation projects within cities and communities and water utilities should include, yes, you might need to be doing some new piping and new, you know, trading and all that, a lot of infrastructure stuff, but it also should include some water conservation programs. So we're hoping that will get implemented as well. It, I mean, is this because uh, water conservation is really one of the most effective ways to um, alleviate the water? Well, it is. I mean, in our state water plan uh, right now, I think conservation, if you look at the pie of where our water is going to come from in the future, conservation is a good bit of that, and I'm not remembering the number right now. I should go back and look, but I think it's at least 30, maybe 40% of our water supply in the future is going to come from new behaviors and from conserving and from efficiency. Um, And and so when we're talking about the use of water, uh, one thing people might wonder is, well, how do you figure out what you're using Mm -hmm. on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Is that something? Yeah, I think that's really a good question because I, I think most of us... You know, the old aha might have been we don't know where our water comes from. The new ahas, we don't know, have any idea how much we use every day. And we think we're being conservative. There has been a study that said that people who thought they were really being conservative and then when they really did the, the measurement of that, they weren't near as conservative as they thought they were. So I think there's some work to be done there. Um, we know the gallons per person per day of within cities around the state. I mean, that's public information. I know Dallas is up around um, 200 gallons per person per day, which is high. Um, San Antonio, that has had a lot of water conservation education going on, is one of the leaders in the state. 
it's still about 140 gallons per person per day. Of course, they incorporate, I think, the industrial uses in the city or the within the utility in that figure. So that might distort it a little bit from a, you know, really per person. But we also know that people who live on rainwater harvesting 100% have, you know, sort of by default, they have this new water ethic. They see, they see the tanks out in their yard. They can tell how much water is in them. So I guess one of the, the challenges that we have is that it's hard to tell. Our people don't know how much water they use per day. And if you get, you know, a bill from a utility company, you can pretty much figure that out. You know, how many in the household, what's the gallons used for the month. So that's pretty easy math, which is not so easy as when you live out in a rural area and you are living on groundwater. You know, you have a well. How much are you using? So um, I've always been a proponent of individuals. I mean, there's this whole thing about don't put meters on our wells. Well, you could put a meter on your own well, and nobody had to know what it said except you and have that guide your own personal responsibility for, for your use. So, I, you know, I would encourage curiosity about, you know, what you use and um, meters on wells for your own personal use is probably a beneficial thing. So we just all need to be much more aware of what we, how much we're using mm -hmm. and to think about conservation measures that we can take yeah. every day. Right. I wanted to end by talking about the rainwater revival mm -hmm. event that's coming up in the fall. Um, uh, I remember when I was there that there were a lot of people who actually sell the tanks um, so that you can, you know, kind of get to, as a homeowner, kind of see what they would look like, how big they are and such. What other things are, are there or well, going to be there? Yeah, so in addition to these vendors or exhibitors that have booths around and they show whether they, you know, they will talk to you about gutters and filtration systems and tanks and basic design, um, we have a full day of speakers, so we have two different stages. So from 10 until 4, we'll have two different stages going on with different topics. So uh, one, of the, one of the topics is for uh, rainwater harvesting for the do-it-yourselfer. So those who are interested in doing their own installation uh, can come in and learn there. We always have um, food, some food trailers, and... A place for kids, so it's a family event. Then we have a, what we call the Raindrop Stop, and HEB sponsors that every year. So we have a place you can leave kids, and they can do some activities that are kind of water-aware activities, an aquifer in a cup and doing some um, water coloring with rainwater. We'll have music for the lunch hour. And so it's kind of, I call it an edu-fest. We want it to kind of feel like a festival, but there's a lot of learning that goes on at the same time, um, too. We can, we're also going to have someone come and talk about uh, landscaping, uh, drought-proof landscaping. There's a website. It'll tell you who the vendors are, who our sponsors are, and I want to put a shout-out to our sponsors who come in and give money mm -hmm. to this event so that we can hold it because it, it's for a nonprofit, and we don't make money off of it. And the money that we do make through, um, we have... Hill Country artists take common 55-gallon drum rain barrels and turn them into what we call functional works of art. So they're these beautiful rain barrels that are conser conversation and conservation pieces that we auction off. 
And the money that we get from that auction goes to fund a school grant program. Well, I wanted to thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to you about all these issues. Thank you for having me. Remember the date, October 25th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Dripping Springs. Rainwaterrevival.com is the website for all the details. This is important. Come and learn what you can do to ensure water for the future. That's all for this week. See you next time on Mothering Earth.